correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. radiocom Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPG, the podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Hey folks, welcome back to Me and Steve Talk RPGs. I'm Steve. Over there, Steve. Yep. Hi, Steve. <laughs> and we're going to talk some RPG stuff tonight. But before that, uh, when this drops or releases for air... There will be about a day left on the Kickstarter for Gamer Nation Con 9. Yeah, Gamer Nation Con 9. That is the best little gaming convention in Texas. <laughs> I'd say wider than Texas. Well, yeah. <laughs> Brett put up uh yeah. Brett put that up on on Facebook the other day and I was I was absolutely in agreement with that. Oh, it's such a good time. Oh, it's such a great convention. Uh that is three-ish days of gaming goodness. Uh, four if you count. Because it starts Thursday and ends Sunday. So Yeah, technically. Is there actually games happening Thursday? It was last year. I ran a game oh, Thursday. Oh, yeah, that's I right. Think. Okay. Well, yeah, so four days. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Gamer Nation Gone uh, 9, which is, is going to be sort of Fellowship of the Ring themed. Mm-hmm. Fellowship of the Gamers, and it is going to be a great time from April 4th to the 7th, uh, and that is at uh, Dallas Games Marathon. We have a game up for you to jump in on that is uh, $100. It gets you your badge. It gets you pre-registered to game with us, and it also gets you a swag bag. Mm -hmm. Definitely something to check out. Hotels really close by really good rates and it's a great little convention and at a hundred dollars to jump in on a game exclusively run by one of us not to toot our own horn but for a hundred dollars for that and your badge to get into the con that's a really good deal yeah now mind you i'm not going to speak for you i plan to run at least three different games over the course of the thing but that yeah i'm shooting for four <laughs> kickstarter pledge no Regular, just the the four day pass pledge is seventy bucks. Right. So the extra thirty bucks guarantees you a seat with one of us if you want it, or if you just want to come and sign up for whatever or play pickup games the whole time, whatever. It's it's still it's great. There's a huge, huge, huge board game library. If you go back a couple episodes, Chris and I talked about it, but it it really is it is a marvelous time. It is a celebration of gaming and. You won't regret it. No, you won't. I think it's a really fantastic gaming convention and just a great time. Great time. Well, um, moving on from that, let's go ahead and talk about our, our topic for the week. Yeah, so you brought this one up, and I like this because it, it kind of stems from a conversation we had, I don't know, a couple episodes ago. But you said you wanted to talk about... How to know when you're done prepping and ready to go to the table, yeah. which I think is something that I probably think way too much about and don't do enough about or something like that. You know, I get 
analysis paralysis with that kind of thing. I think I think too little about it and just jump into things half cocked, but that's okay. <laughs> and to be fair, I don't think and and to just to lead this off, I don't think that there is one answer to this. No. No, there is not a correct answer. I've played with GMs who are, I'll say, overprepared and had a great time. And I've played in games with GMs that are way underprepared and had a great time. And it all depends on your style. It all depends on who you are personally. And I think it depends on the game you're running. So to kick things off, you know, obviously a one page RPG doesn't require much more research other than read the read the read the game. Um, and that takes all of what, 10 minutes, <laughs> not very long in any case. Yeah. Um, whereas something more complex, say role master, say GURPS, say, you know, any of that stuff you're talking about, you have to do some research time. You have to know the system sort of inside and out. And that's going to take a little bit more prep than, than just jumping into something. Mm-hmm. So you wanted to do this sort of like a Q and a, you said about, you were going to ask me some questions and possibly, right? Because like, and, and so, I mean, you game with me enough to know, I, I feel like I'm a pretty good, if I have a basic framework and wing it person. Yes. But that's not everybody. And the other thing is when, when do you know that your basic framework is enough to wing it off of, I guess is the other, the the key to, to that whole statement. Right. But like, I mean, so let's assume just because I, I feel like no matter what it is you're running, you've got to have at least a basic grasp of the game engine. Some well, yes. being more complex than others. So let's let's take that as a given, I think, because that's sort of I won't say everybody is going to have that before they start a GM, but it's gonna be that's a major hurdle that I think you should tackle as step one regardless. Yeah, there's a reason why so in my prep process, if it's a brand new game, the first thing I jump to is the like how to play the game section of a book, right? I will cut past the fluff, past the backstory, past the character creation and straight to the main resolution mechanic and getting down to that core and finding out what the, the meat and potatoes of this game in a way uh, in certain games, some games, the meat and potatoes is the fluff is the story. Uh, But for the games where there is a, a definite, resolution mechanic i cut straight to that and i focus on that for my first bit of prep because what i don't want to do is i don't want to sit down at a table and have my players ask me 40 questions about the system and me not be able to answer those questions easily and and quickly true i think too like when you get to like we we were you know you mentioned like those little one page games often those have a very, very, very simple resolution mechanic that it, that amounts to, you know, you roll a D six on a four or higher, you do the thing or yeah. whatever. Uh, let's take war on Christmas. That was roll a D six on a five and six. You succeed. If you use one of your character effects, you get a plus one to your die roll. That's a very basic, you know, resolution mechanic. It's really simple. I really like it, but at the end of the day, it's, it's, you know, five and a six. Now, you know, something like cyberpunk, 
Cyberpunk Red or Cyberpunk 2020 doesn't have that. It's very much, you know, roll dice, add these modifiers, do this thing, do that thing. You know, it's it's much more involved. Mm-hmm. Um, and understanding, so understanding the core and maybe not all the minutiae is is where you're going to save yourself some time and also be best off in my opinion so you you don't have to know i feel like in in some cases you don't have to know all the minutiae like let's go to fifth edition right i don't necessarily need to know what what uh how much fall damage someone takes at at any given level i don't necessarily need to know that information that's information i can look up later but i do need to know is you know when we're entering combat or when we're doing checks, what are we asking for? What are we asking the players to do? Mm-hmm. Are we asking them to roll dice, add numbers? You know, what numbers are we asking to add? You know, what what are we trying to accomplish here? Your basic target numbers, stuff like right. that. Which, yeah. in a lot of that stuff is readily available, like on the inside of GM screens and that kind of thing. Right. Which now, and and, you know, this has gotten mentioned before. There's a lot of debate that goes around about whether do you like to GM with a screen? Do your players like you GMing with a screen? Does it create a barrier, et cetera, et cetera, and so on? I think depending on the setting, if you don't want to GM with a screen, make yourself cheat sheets. And that could be anything from just notes that you've taken to things that you've sat down, compiled, and printed out, depending Lay on the what screen you want to down do. on the table right in front yeah. of you. Just lay yeah. it down like a mat. If 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 your players don't like you rolling dice behind a screen or you don't like rolling dice behind a screen, lay it out for yourself. Or if you're playing virtually, I have that stuff up as soon as we start playing. I have I bring like six or seven different file images up and have it right in front of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or or and for some games too, I've seen um I believe Scott Zumwald made one for something strange, you know, his his Genesis setting. But I've seen this happen more and more. And you can even do this if you can get like a, like the digital to print inserts for a GM screen, print them out and just put them in those little sheet protectors or whatever. And you can keep them laying down on the table right in front of you. It gives you the information really accessibly, but doesn't create that barrier. It also gives you a handout when there's questions. Mm Mm-hmm. So when somebody starts to question, oh, are you sure that that works that way? You hand them the little sheet. It's ripped straight from the book and go, this is what the book says. Mm-hmm. It assuades a lot of that because I find um, I had a conversation with somebody the other day and they were like, well, what if somebody questions me or my knowledge of the system? OK, let them question you. Let them question your knowledge. They want to make sure that their understanding and your understanding are the same. Mm -hmm. as long as you're not like if you're making something up say i don't know what the book says but i'm gonna do it this way okay all right perfectly fine you're the gm you can make that ruling on the fly as long as it's fair as long as it's you know respectable to your players and everybody's cool with it you're good to go but if it is something that that you know you don't want to make a ruling on the fly and you actually want to bring it up to somebody or you know something and they're, you know, somebody's arguing with you, show them where you know it from. Show them, you know, right here it says this, it lays it out like this, it's written like this. You know what I mean? Like it's very much beneficial to be like, 
the book says this, so I'm doing this, right? Mm-hmm. Book says X, so I'm doing X. Right. If that makes sense. And, you know, something you touched on, too, for games that have skill lists, be yes. it D&D, be it Delta Green, be it Cyberpunk, etc. Something that I, as a GM, find incredibly useful to do, I keep a blank character sheet mm-hmm. in front of me. Just because I can glance down and go, uh, that skill. Give me a I have that been skill. in a bind before and on multiple occasions been like, hey, um, person who's not in this situation, let me see your character sheet real quick. Just because I may not have that piece of information in front of me, but somebody at the table, everybody at the table should have a character sheet. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I can just grab it off somebody, go, okay, I need this type of check. And we move on. There's a lot of really useful information on character sheets in a lot mm-hmm. of ta- a lot of cases. And having that information in front of you is a very helpful thing. And then it also helps if you have new players or you're running a con game or it's a one shot, you can go, okay, so you're looking for this number that is in the upper left hand corner on the column to the right. Mm-hmm. It, you can point to the you can point the person to directly where they need to be looking. They can find that information quickly. You're not spending, I don't want to say hours of time, but you're not, you're not spending excessive amounts of time trying to find information on a character sheet because you're not hundred percent sure where it's at. Right. Just having that quick reference in front of you can, can really help out a lot. And so all of these prerequisites are me giving advice on how I do things quickly (laughs) and dirty. Right. So I often refer to my GMing style as quick and dirty. That's because it is. I write um, for my prep 90% of the time once I'm past system mastery, understanding character creation. So that's the next step. So the first step is system mastery, getting that core resolution mechanic, figuring out what's expected of the players to be doing in this game. The next step from there is then character creation, whether I'm, making characters for myself to hand out at the table or expecting my players to make characters. I need to know how character creation goes. I just do. And, and it makes, it makes it a little bit easier. It also can sometimes help you understand where they're putting emphasis on a game. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's the next step. Obviously that goes, you follow the book, build a character out, build a couple characters out. I will, um, especially when I'm first learning a book and I'm going through character creation, I'll do like four or five characters at a clip. Just that way I have everything ready for the handout. You know what I'm driving at there? Oh yeah. Yeah, it does. It helps. Plus it just, again, it familiarizes you with kind of, it's sort of not just understanding the mechanic, but you understand a little more of the application of it. Yep. And I might run through, uh, I might take one of those characters and run through a quick scenario with myself. (laughs) You know what I mean? Fair. I'd never actually thought of doing that, but that makes a lot of sense. I might run through a quick, like, you know, if it's a, if it's a combat focused game, I'm going to run through a quick combat session. I'm going to be like, okay, well, some of this doesn't matter. Some of this matters, you know, like. D&D movement's important, but at the end of the day, if you're just trying to learn the core resolution, you don't need to worry about movement. It's just not important. You do need to learn about, you know, again, 
what dice am I adding? What numbers am I adding here? What, you know, what's my damage? What's my to hit? What's my proficiency? What's my weapon? All that information. And and going through a quick, you know, um, whereas like when I ran Call of Cthulhu for the first time, I uh, sat down and went through not a full investigation, but like one round of like searching for a thing. Mm-hmm. Like I set a target and I did this and I did that. I, you know, I, I followed basically the steps of like what they recommend on how to do that. So I, I knew going into that game, okay, when I expect my players to do this, they need to do this, 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 and this. Um, once I have what I refer to as the roots of a game, now obviously some games are way more narrative. Some games are way more story driven. Some games, you know, barely have a resolution mechanic. In those type of situations, I don't need to worry about it so much. I do it. I still learn it. I still know it well. But I move from that to getting an outline of what I want my story to be. Because if if the game is telling me, don't be concerned with combat, dice rolls, that type of thing. I don't need to concern myself with combat, dice rolls, that type of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. But you also then wouldn't want to make combat a focal centerpiece of your story right right and and so this is why it takes me a minute to read rpg books because i bounce all around the book when i first crack open a new book i read like the preamble i read what i refer to as like the core resolution of mechanics which is like what the book might call running the game or uh playing the game or you know, whatever they call that, right? Whatever fancy lingo they use to refer to playing the game itself. I read that. I make a character sheet. And then from there, I am ready to move into my creative phase, which is where I'll consume fluff, backstory, uh, story around the game itself, and make my decisions of if I want to use any of that or not. Because again... My GM style is take the bones, throw everything else away, and build something from the bones of it. That's just how my brain works. Mm-hmm. I um now unless it's a it's unless it's a setting that I'm heavily, heavily invested in, right? Like Anarchy and Dragon City. I'm not gonna strip ADC down to its bones, because at its bones it's just Genesis. Right. I'm not gonna strip ADC down to its bones. And then build my own world around it. I am going to take what's written narratively and use that to tell a story that I want to tell. That's that's how I do that. Um, for me, I make an outline. So I know it's been a while for you. It was a while for me. Back in high school, uh, they were like multiple steps to the writing process. They would talk right. about an outline and then a rough draft and then a first draft and then a final draft. You know what I mean? Right, right. That outline, which is a series of bullet points, I always make one of those at the very least for running my games. I make a bunch of bullet points that I want to hit. And if it's a setting that I'm not as familiar with, I may go into more detail, maybe take that next step into what would be a rough draft. If it's a setting I'm very familiar with, man, I am not doing any of that extra stuff. I am going to make my outline. I'm going to hit my bullet points. I'm going to make those either the focuses of the campaign or the focuses of the session. 
and that is it. I'm not putting tons of detail because I have uh, one of my strengths as a person, as a GM, is my overactive imagination and my ability to create on the fly. So understanding that I can I can take something I wrote, elaborate on it at the table, and not have to fully flush that out gets me moving faster, right? Mm-hmm. It cuts down on that time between game to table. Fair. So, so at, at what point do you start worrying about, and, and feel free to tell me if I'm putting the cart way in front of the horse here, but at what point do you start worrying about, do you need key NPCs and stuff like that? Uh, during that outline process. It, if I'm laying it out and I'm going, uh, let's, let's build out a cyberpunk campaign real quick. Um, mechanics all aside. I want to take a group. I want to have them steal a thing. I want to have them fight a group of enemies after stealing that thing. I want them to find out some reveal about the thing that they stole. And then maybe I'll have that thing stolen back from them. And then we have a final climactic fight over getting the item, getting the MacGuffin. Mm -hmm. I know I need a quest giver, right? Because I want them to steal a thing. I know I need an enemy NPC because I want them to be angry enough that they want to get their thing back. Uh, Mm -hmm. I know I need um, guards and, you know, say they're robbing a museum or say they're robbing a, you know, whatever. I need guards and people to fill out that world. Now, some of those people aren't key NPCs and it's not super important that they have names or they have any sort of anything, right? But... I know I have like the quest giver, a bad guy, uh, maybe another quest giver, another bad guy. You know what I'm driving at? Here. Right, right. But I will say, you know, for me, like when I ran Cyberpunk Red at Gamer Nation Con last year, I made up a handful of basically just generic bad guys, slightly different gear, whatever. And I just kept reusing them. Works. Slap a different name on them. You know, different piece of gear or something. If yeah. you're players are looting the bodies but you basically you need the court the skills for for npcs like that you need the applicable skills for whatever the interaction is and a little bit of stuff and that's it you don't need a full-blown character sheet no i i I really hate when i look at it's one of my biggest turnoffs in a game is when i look at your section on npcs and you want me to just build basically a full character. That's not necessary. I break it down into two categories. Is this character going to fight, or are they not going to fight? If a character is going to fight, they need more stats than a character that's not going to fight. That's the fact of the matter. If a character is never going to get in a fight, I don't stat them out to die. There's no point in it. If they're just a quest giver, and you know that they're not ever going to be anywhere near the battlefield, and unless your PCs lose their mind and attack the quest giver, you you don't have to worry about that quest giver having the stats necessary to be in a fight. Just a fact. Mm-hmm. And if they do and say, you know, say you set everything up and instead of them taking the quest, they decide to pick a fight with the shopkeep, grab the stats from one of your big bads and there you go. It's statted out, ready to go for you. Mm-hmm. It's the... It's the Genesis idea of 
slap a different name on it and describe it differently. And it's a different thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) Well, that was like, it didn't dawn on me until he said it. When we talked with uh, Phil and Brett about Mechasis and I asked about Kaiju and Phil looks at the camera and goes, you mean like a big giant mech with a reptile skin over top of it? Yes. (laughs) And I went, don't. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I, uh, again, it's a little bit of granularity on my end, but I break it down to, is this person going to see combat or not? Or is this person going to need, the way I sort of word it in my brain is, does this NPC need stats? Because if they don't, if there's no reason to give them stats, don't waste your time statting NPCs. Don't. It's not worth it. You can spend your time better doing things doing you know investing more time into parts that you find more important because at the end of the day an npc that doesn't need stats is really just wasted time that you ended up static Mm -hmm. because it's time that you could have spent you know investing into your story investing into your world investing into descriptions of the item that they're you know dealing with or um, things like that. That's like, I don't, um, I only put so much information on a page before we sit down and play. And the reason I only put so much information on a page is because there's only so many questions you can account for. Mm-hmm. And, that, and the majority of the time, in my experience, the questions that you don't account for are easily, I don't want to say hand-waved, but easily explained away with a little bit of brain power. Okay. So let's say we go to a bar in Night City. I'll write the name of the bar, some witty name, and a, a vibe, right? Like mm-hmm. if it's a dive bar, I'll write dive bar. If it's a, a yuppie joint, I'll write, you know, expensive. If it's, um, if it's some, you know, Biker bar, I'll write biker bar if it's, you know what I'm driving at here? Right, right. Just kind of a, a, a key word or something to know what you're aiming for. Right. And then from there, I won't, like, I'll maybe grab a map of what the inside looks like, but I'm not going to sit down and be, like, writing all the adjectives to describe the inside of this bar. Mm-hmm. Because if I write a dive bar and my players walk into a dive bar, they're going to ask me, they're going to be like, well, what's the inside of this place? I'm like, what's well, really loud. There's heavy metal playing. It's um, smoky and dark. Everybody's kind of shading their eyes because you open the door. Like you can evoke a feeling of a place without having to sit down and write all the details of that place out. If you need those details, I'm not saying that's the wrong way of doing it. If you have to write out details of a location because you have a hard time just on the fly drawing inspiration for locations go right ahead and write those details out you know fill in as much information as you need for that location that's fine i'm saying for me what i'm running something that i'm familiar with i will describe things that i'm familiar with right mm-hmm. like i've been to a lot of dive rougher bars i've been to them for one reason or another. They typically have good food. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. <laughs> um, and I know that like, if I walk into a bar 
and I open the door and immediately get hit with the smell of cigarette smoke and just loud, angry music, I know the kind of place I'm walking into. I know that I know that it's it's a, a dark. I'm gonna get cheap beer. It's gonna be you know, don't make eye contact with nobody. You know, just go in, get your stuff, get out, and you know, try and and not stir up stir the pot. Whereas if I walk into a place and you know my shoes click on the flooring and it feels like I walked into an Apple store. It's clean. It's sterile. It's, it's, um, doesn't smell like old beer and cigarettes. I know that that's going to be sort of a, maybe not up end or upscale, but like a cleaner, nicer place. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to use different adjectives to describe that place. Can I just share a little something that I used in, in some of the cyberpunk I run now, this, particularly pertains to like red or 2020, but you get that spot where they're in, the players are interacting with some NPC and now suddenly you need stats. And for whatever reason, you don't have a handy, you know, mook sheet sitting there. Now, cyberpunk for those who aren't familiar is attribute plus D 10 plus skill mm -hmm. attribute ranges one to 10 skills are usually relatively say one to five for an NPC probably for just a, not a, a high, but just a kind of average person type thing. But, but you need, for whatever reason, you know, the, the, the players take a swing at the drunk. Okay. I have on a whim before specifically for type cyberpunk, grab two D sixes and a D 10 roll them. And I write the two D six result down as the stat plus skill and the D 10 as the skill roll. And I think you can take that, depending on how familiar you are with the game system, and, and have something like that in your back pocket for that emergency something to roll. Does that make sense? Yes. So um, I am good for, before I sit down at the table, especially for uh, 2020, there was a couple. Red, it looks like there's quite a few. It turns out, and I don't mean to call anybody out, and this is not me taking any jabs at anybody but it turns out people that like cyberpunk are nerds and so they <laughs> like to sit down and make generators that are full-on websites that create npcs for you and i will grab a generator make a quick npc and go there's my stats there's my numbers there's my information that i need if i don't have that on hand because mm -hmm. I always have my phone or a laptop or some bit of technology to bail me out of what used to be a sticky situation, mm -hmm. right? Like back in the day when we were running cyberpunk out of a book without any of this other crap, it was like, uh, I better have a couple NPCs statted just in case mm -hmm. I better have some goons and henchmen and all this stuff. Now, I'm not afraid to sit down at especially a long form session and have my bad guys and then not have just generic NPCs statted because I know I can get that information in seconds. Mm -hmm. uh, even character generators only take, you know, full on character creators only take a couple minutes mm -hmm. enough time that like, boy, if my characters started pushing and shoving on a guy, 
I could be like, okay, I can see that you guys are going to get in a fight here. Let's go ahead and take a five, 10 minute break. I'm going to step away from the table. I'm going to make that character real quick. I'm going to come back with a full fledged character and be ready to go. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just, and move. Um, but the, the core of what we were talking about is when, so once I have sort of what I'm comfortable with as far as NPCs and I have my adjectives basically picked out to describe my world and my setting. And I have the activities that I expect the players to do. I love calling them activities. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm ready to sit down and play. I'm, 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 that is in my opinion, 90% of the game, right? Mm-hmm. That is, that is, is the majority of the way there. The only parts that need filled in are, you know, maybe setting descriptions, which whatever item descriptions, which again, whatever, you know, just stuff like that. That's stuff that I can, I don't want to say BS, but come up with on the fly, come up Mm -hmm. with while moving. And because of that, because I work fast like that, I can tell what kind of direction the players want to take this story because I will ask them, like if, if we walk into a room and they go, what is this room? What does this room look like? And I tell them, well, it's a, a cybernetics implantation room. Mm-hmm. So you tell me what that looks like. And they come back with this whole, you know, it's sterile, it's white walls, it's harsh lighting. Great. Okay. So that tells me that this whole facility is white walls, and sterile and white lighting and harsh lighting and blah, 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 blah. Right. Mm-hmm. That tells me where their brain's at. And it also lets me tap them as a resource. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's what we talked about last week, basically. Yeah, it lets me tap them as a resource and simultaneously gives me more prompt and then makes the world feel theirs, right? Mm-hmm. And making your players feel like the world was theirs, like they created it or had some part in creation is a wonderful feeling for them. And a lot of players, uh, especially from certain subsects of the hobby, have not experienced someone who lets them be part of the creative process. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, not faulting anyone. I understand if you've, if you've been wanting to write a novel, but you turned it into a campaign and you know every in and out and detail and, and speck of dust and, you know, color a tile and everything then you have it on lock you're good to go but you're way over prepped in my opinion some people really feel they need to be that far prepared hey that's cool it's a difference in opinion i feel like i can run a game with less prep than that finding your balance is really important Mm -hmm. because you can go too far and i've gone too far and i've taken like I have multiple word documents that have way too many words in them because I ended up going crazy and just writing basically a short story instead Mm -hmm. of writing a system, writing a campaign. And I think a lot of people get hung up and think they need to write like everything down and not everything needs to be written down. Not everything needs to be fully flushed out. Not everything needs to be fully specced out because there are things that you're going to put on your paper that the players aren't even going to see because their brain works differently than your brain 
and they're going to go in a completely different direction. We've mm-hmm. talked about this a lot where, you know, what do you do when you expect the players to go right and they go left? We go left. <laughs> what was to the right maybe moves to the left, but we go left. Do you think, and I know we've talked about the, the I don't know exactly what we want to call it, but the, how as GMs, a lot of times we worry about what the players missed. I don't ever worry. Well, I worry a little bit, but if I feel like it's something important enough, I will just move it and put it in their way so okay. that they get to see the big set piece. But, but what I'm what I'm driving at is with as you're saying, doing this kind of outland outland outline planning. Do you think you set yourself up for a little less of that because you're just basically going, okay, here's the high points. I'll hit my high points, whatever direction they go. And you're not worried about, okay, you know, like, like you were just talking about, you, you have this room and you, you know, the color of every tile and the curtains and this and that and everything else. And then your players look in the door and keep going. Yeah. And then, so if you're just outline planning and you have ornate room, do you think for you as a GM that causes a little less anxiety, if you will, because you don't feel like you put all that work in to not have it pay off? Yes, absolutely. So let me maybe give a little bit of history on how I developed this uh, method. I ran a long-form campaign while I was in college for D&D. I really genuinely thought at the time of starting that campaign, I had to have everything written down. I had to have all the details, all the notes, all the room descriptions, all the character descriptions, all the animal descriptions, you know, creature descriptions. I had to have uh, fights statted down to a T. I had to have everything, everything, everything. I still, I found them the other day, and I don't know where they're at right now. I found some of my original notebooks from back when I started playing D&D. And it looks like I was writing some sort of fantasy novel. <laughs> it does. I'm, I'm genuinely serious. If there weren't just random, like, monster manual pages noted in the description, I think that I was writing some sort of fantasy novel. But I learned, I learned from playing with my friends. I learned from playing with strangers that the best laid plans of mice and men. I learned that no matter how much I put and no matter how much time I invest into, you know, giving these grandiose descriptions and these massive backstories and all this detail, no matter how much time I spend on that, it can all be thwarted by a player not caring, making a left and going a different direction. Mm-hmm. And so I just went, all right, fine. If they're going to go ahead and screw up my plans, my plans need to be fluid enough that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like when I have an outline, like you said, high points, I want to hit these points and, and how we get there is how we get there. And I maybe have some traveling notes. I maybe have some stuff in between and blah, 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 blah. But I have points. I have, I have, a, you know, high points that I want to hit low points that I want to hit. Um, everything in between is all free form. It's all free form. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason for that is just, again, like you said, uh, it, it, it assuades some of that. Oh man, I spent three hours writing up this entire puzzle room that the rogue skipped and 
10 minutes. You know what I mean? Or mm-hmm. I, I wrote up this massive Coliseum and all these details and sawdust floors for them to figure out that they could, you know, Jimmy the locks and get out. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, why did I spend my time really statting out, really writing up super evocative descriptions mm-hmm. when I could, you know, I, I had this Coliseum fight. Well, what were they going to fight? Well, they were going to fight a Tarask. Okay, well, then I'm just going to put a note, fight Tarask in Coliseum, question mark. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And if they don't make it to the Coliseum or if they don't go there or they don't do what's necessary to get there, I still have the high note of fight Tarask and they're still going to fight that Tarask at some point. Mm-hmm. And that has to happen before the next thing happens. You know what I mean? Like, right. it's, it's not, it's not a matter of where it's just a matter of when. And if I know X has to happen before Y, then if X happens outside of Y's castle, all right, X happens outside of Y's castle. Yeah. Well, I think too, like kind of what you're saying is give yourself enough, like you said, you'll make a note about a couple of adjectives for the place. That's enough prompt for you to be able it for you. And I mean, you know, yeah, everybody's going to be different on this. So however many more notes or adjectives you need to give yourself, if you need to write a full paragraph or page or, you know, whatever, go for it, but just enough information for yourself. But I, I think it is, it's important to to tell people, you know, that like, especially new people, you don't have to have the greatest novel ever written before you start. No, <laughs> no. And the fact of it is, and, and this is another truth, you're not going to be great when you start out. You can be good, but you're not going to be, you know, your first campaign is going to be filled with all kinds of mistakes, filled with all kinds of, of, you know, inaccuracies, or you're going to throw some stuff out and you're going to learn where to cut and you're going to learn where to cut fat. And your first time GMing is going to be tough. And I'm sorry. I know that sucks. That's not, you know, I can Mm -hmm. tell you that it's easier than it seems, but harder than it looks. (laughs) Sort of. It's both. Yeah. It's, it's not super difficult, but it is also simultaneously really challenging. Is it fair to say, do you think that the trick is to manage your expectations of yourself? Yes. Yes. Um, You know, you're not, you're not always going to know what your strengths or weaknesses are as a GM starting out. You're just not, not until you run a game, not until you play the game. And this episode particularly is very much that another one of the episodes where it's like, Hey, look, if you're a new GM and you're sitting and you're like, man, I want to play this game, but I don't know where to start. Or I want to play this game. I've done all this research. I have everything prepped. I just, I need to do more research or I need to do more of this. Or maybe it's time to just start. The The issue, and this is where a lot of people, and I know you get hung up on this. I would get hung up on this. I get hung up on it periodically. And I just have to push myself past it. Of the idea of, oh, I don't, I don't know enough about that. Whatever that is, if it's, you know, esoteric rules or straight up like combat resolution stuff, 
if you're sitting there and you you have the majority of your campaign plotted out, but you're going, oh, I need to do more research. I need to do more research. I need to do more research. Maybe you don't. Maybe it's time to start and see where that story goes before you start doing research into something that doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Because it is frustrating when you put that research into something. Exactly. But uh, another trick that, you know, say you struggle with names, right? There's plenty of name generators out there. You can have them on your phone. You can use them at the table. Another trick you can do, just write down, you know, keep a Google Doc or something on your phone. Just when you come up with a name that you think that sounds cool, throw it in there. Then when you're at the table and you need a name, you pop open that doc, scribble the name down on your notes as to what you use that name for. You know, yeah. that works. So just have a list of names. I know um, there was a podcast that I listened to years ago that had, they literally called it the NPC name bucket. And one of the things that they had patrons for their podcast through Patreon and one of the things you got to do as a patron was give them names for the name bucket. And they would literally just pull a name out of the bucket at the table live during the session and away they went. Yeah. And and another tip for, for prep, and, and this is maybe a little advanced, but I, I was uh, not listening to an old episode of The Order 66. <laughs> and, no, never. Uh, nope, never listened. But there w- they were talking about how Jay Little will quick prep for Star Wars. He literally takes a piece of paper and in a column will write the entire alphabet. And then off each letter, he writes a word that he associates with Star Wars. It could be a name, it could be a place, a creature, anything. And he literally, just as he's going, when he needs something, he looks over at the list. Nice. And they said he will literally, that he will do a pickup game with just that hey that's cool i dig that um i'm not comfortable enough with star wars to do that but well but i could see myself doing that with other games yeah 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 yeah. no i know i know exactly where you're coming from that's a cool idea honestly names i'm really bad with names but i like to play games set in contemporary settings so names are kind of easy like i'm not gonna lie I use names like people I went to college with, yeah, yeah. crap like that all the time. No, I, I, I can't tell you the number of NBCs that I've named Bob. <laughs> this is Bob. Why is his name Bob? I don't know, because I couldn't think of something better. Yeah, That's his name. It backwards. Yeah. It's one thing, if I'm looking for like, boy, you know, I, I my brain associates different fantasy races with um, different uh, areas geographically. So like elves, perfect example of this. For me, when I go for an elf name, I bring up a French baby name generator uh, and start picking, you know, French names or, you know, orcs. I always felt that orcs are kind of Eastern European. Uh, So maybe I'll go, you know, Russia or, um, you know, Poland, something like that and grab names just just names that aren't in the language that we speak normally and yeah you might run into somebody that speaks that language hey that's cool glad you speak that language uh this guy's name is pierre and he lives here and that's what he does uh (laughs) you know what i mean like yeah it's nobody is gonna like 
fantasy names are especially hard. I think cyberpunk names are stupid easy because you could either name them normal, you know, you could have a quest giver named Justin or vice versa in cyberpunk, especially you give them a weird, crazy handle. This is ghost. This is, um, uh, you know, uh, good grief. I'm trying to think what this the heck is was the, that? you know, they there may be that, called, go ahead. I think, uh, Artal used this in something in red, but there was a, a podcast that, that played 2020. And I forget the name of the podcast now, but one of the hacker NPCs and it was alloy Knight. Yeah. Or, um, you know, I go to the movie hackers. Everybody in the movie hackers had some sort of synonym. This is serial killer. This is crash and burn. This is zero cool. This is Nikon. Like, hey, you know, it's a cyberpunk world. You don't have to give a real name. Everybody's got an alias. Everybody's got a handle. Maybe mm -hmm. you don't have a handle. Maybe that's your whole thing. That's a plot point in that movie. One of the characters doesn't straight up doesn't have a handle and is like, can you give me a handle? And they're like, yeah, no. Like the the Latino guy in um, um, oh, Boondock Saints trying to yeah. come up with his catchphrase. Or, um, you know, I know that was his name, but they called him Sphinx in Gone in 60 Seconds. That's a cool name. Mm -hmm. That's not, you know, not the name of a person you would run into. That's just a descriptor. Um, you know, they, they call him Axel. Why do they call him Axel? Well, because he's a nomad. He drives the fan, right? Like... Mm -hmm. Uh, start stealing from video games. If you play video games, you know, you know, video game character names, rip them off. Maybe don't call your, you know, maybe don't call a, a big barbarian fighter Kratos, but, uh, you know, make it a little less obvious. Mm -hmm. Your players are never going to, they're, they're going to be like, oh, that's cool. And a lot of well, times, if you make it less obvious, they're not going to be able to put two and two together. Well, especially in the cyberpunk genre, you can do those pop culture references because maybe that's a clue that that character or someone in their past, you know, idolized, you know, um, you know, like he goes by monkey because he was a big fan of corn. Right. You know, or, or, or yeah, you know, anything like that. I called, uh, I, I played with a group of people that weren't big Red Hot Chili Peppers fans, and I named uh, I named a rocker boy Flea because I felt like it, and they didn't catch the reference because they're not that's not their kind of music. Cool, <laughs> you know but, what I mean. But in a like, cyberpunk setting, you can use that as a, a, a like. What well, didn't I name that that Bootsy Collins inspired solo I played in your game? Star Child or something like that? I think, yeah, something like that. Um, and in fantasy, you can do the same thing. If it's a big barbarian person that carries a hammer, call them the hammer. <laughs> or call them tiny. Yeah, or, you know, not everybody needs a real name. Give them a nickname. Give them a, a you know, they call me Ironheart. Okay, Ironheart, uh, whatever. Um you know what I mean? Like, not everybody needs a, 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 like, you don't have to think too hard about names. Well, and some of opinion. that, too, can be, like, a an amusing diversion at some point in the game. Like, yeah. remember MASH made a whole episode out of the fact that B.J. Honeycutt's name is B.J. Honeycutt. Uh-huh. 
Um, I mean, look at Mash. Or not Mash. Look at, um, I mean, Mash had a character named Radar. That's not his real name. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, look at the A-Team. Yeah. Uh, they're, they all have aliases they go by. You know, it... And then I've had, I've heard of, I've heard of, uh, somebody was running a Delta Green game and two of their player characters were Agent, uh, Scolder and Mully. <laughs> All right. Hey, whatever. It, it, you know what I'm driving at here though? Like, don't think too hard about names. Names are kind of easy. It's for the amusement of your ta- entertainment and amusement of your table. Right. And, and. And then that goes back to, I don't give names prior to introducing that character. Unless, unless, and this is the caveat, I've come up with a really good one. <laughs> In which case, that goes into the outline. So, mm-hmm. you know, if if the quest giver is having you go, so let's say, oh boy, going back to this imaginary campaign that I'm setting up. Uh what I'm having the team go steal is Johnny's silver hand. Like Johnny silver hand had silver hands. It's on display in a museum. The quest giver wants you to go get it, go get it. Um, the quest giver might be, you know, Mr. Lim, right? Like it's going to be something goofy. It's going to be something, you know, you can call me blah, blah, blah. Uh, one of my favorite movies is reservoir dog. Reservoir Dogs, the whole point of that, uh, one of the whole plot points is um, we don't want to use our real names because that's how people like us get busted. If I don't know your name, you don't know my name, and I go down, I can't be like, well, I did this job with so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. If you only know me as Mr. White and you're Mr. Pink, then I go down and they ask who were your accomplices. I don't know their names. I went, it was a Mr. Pink, it was Mr. Brown, it was Mr. Red. You know, like, that's that's the whole point of that movie. And it's a valid point. It's a valid point. In a heist, if you're not an established heist crew and you're just an assembled group of people, maybe you don't need to know each other's character names. It's the same with Delta Green. Delta Green does that where, you know, agents have handles. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so that's what, that's one of the things that people get hung up on. They're like, oh, I got to give these characters names. Oh, you really don't. Give them a personality, give them basic attributes and the bare essentials of what they need. And you're good to go on that. Uh, You don't necessarily have to come up with a name. You could come up with a name on the fly. Or if you're really bad at names, if you're really bad at names, then sit down and write, you know, give them each a name. Pick a letter of the alphabet and give them a name from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then from there, once you've named your NPCs, you have your outline, you know basically what your story is going to be. It's time to sit down and play. Find mm-hmm. your players. Um, if you're making characters for your players, make those up. Have them ready to go. Find your players. Start your game. It's mm-hmm. time to move. It's it's time to play. Turn them loose on the world and deal with the havoc that ensues well yeah (laughs) and and if you really need if you need that rigidity go ahead and put as much detail into it as you need but keep in mind this is another thing that a lot of people make mistakes on 
you might write a whole page worth of information down for whatever. That is not going to last you, but the amount of time it takes you to read that page. Mm -hmm. So you got to keep in mind, you're going to be playing this game for somewhere between, let's say, two to eight hours, right? Mm -hmm. Two on the short end, eight on the long end. You got to have enough information or you got to be able to keep the story moving at a pace where you're not sitting for too long describing too much. Mm-hmm. Because if you're, if you're just pontificating elaborately on the rooms that they're in, on the setting that they're playing in, on the this, on the that, it's not playing the game. It's just you describing at some people a location, a setting, a character, uh this, or that, or the other thing. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, once you have enough information that you feel like, okay, my gauge is I ask myself this question. Could I start this game now? Could I start it right now? If I still say no, and I still say no, because I need to know this, that, and that. Okay, that's what we need to focus on. Once I have that information, I then ask myself again, can I start this game right now? If that answer changes to a yes, I stop immediately, finish what I'm writing and go, okay, now I got to find players. And the entire time I'm doing my outline, I'm keeping in mind up here how long this game is running. Again, we've talked about this one shots, con games, Short campaigns, medium campaigns, long campaigns, right? Mm -hmm. One shots, one or two sessions. I only need maybe a page of of outline notes for one or two sessions. Mm -hmm. Con games are the same way. One or two sessions, but I know I need to make character sheets for that. I know I need to make characters to hand off to the table. Okay, that takes a little bit longer. Short campaigns, boy, Short campaign is somewhere between like, what, a month to, you know, maybe six months, Mm -hmm. roughly, depending on how frequently you play, depending on how long you play for. A medium campaign is maybe six months to a year. Long campaign is a year plus, right? Right. With a long campaign, I like to break down my long campaigns into acts, you know, three, four acts. And I know that, you know, if, if, if we're planning on playing like a three act structure, then it's going to be about probably an act every six months to a year. So around this time next year, I need to sit down and make a new outline for that next act. And I might make a greater outline where I know, you know, act one is going to cover this roughly act two is going to cover this act three is going to cover this, but I won't do the details. I'll break that down granularity or granularly. As time goes, I may not, I may not actually sit down and outline each session. That may not be necessary, but I, if I, it depends on how much detail I put into my acts. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. But yeah, for short form campaigns, really, you only need about a page of notes in, in, in the way I do it. Some people may need more. Some people may want more, but I feel like with everything else you're juggling in a short form game, a page of notes is the perfect amount because 
uh, sorry, not to not to go long, but because <laughs> the reason I feel a page of notes is enough is because with like a short, like a one two session thing, one shots con games, I'm teaching the game. I'm teaching people how to play it, and I don't need to be juggling rules, characters, NPCs, and my notes all in the same. I don't need to be throwing it all up in the air. But yeah, so that's my way, and that's how I do what I call quick and dirty, and it's just <laughs> as fast as possible. No, no, no. I think that's cool, and and yeah, that's a a a, a thing that I struggle with at times because. I don't know if it's just self being self-critical or whatever, but a lot of times I'm like, no, I need to do more. I need to do more. And then you end up getting bogged down because you did all this stuff that you didn't need. And I've described it as losing the forest through the trees. You, you get caught up in, Ooh, this is a juniper. Ooh, this is a birch. Ooh, this is a, this, Ooh, this is a, that. And you lose the fact that, Oh, I'm trying to find my way out of this. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. Uh, but like I said, the main question to ask yourself is, can I start this right now? And as soon as you answer yes, I think you're just about ready to go. I, th I think you're about 90% there. Makes sense. But with that all being said, let's go ahead and move into Game of the Week. Woohoo! Game of the Week! Game of the Week! Game of the Week! All right. Who's going first? You want to go first? Because I know what I can, mine is. I could go first. Yours is. is easy. Um, so I found a game. I'm going to grab the link here. All right. I found a game called Bad Comedians in Hell. Okay. <laughs> it's a two-pager. It's a dollar. It is um, pretty much exactly what it sounds like. All right. This sounds intriguing. You play as a group of bad comedians in hell. Um, deep within the darkest corners of hell, bad comedians find themselves trapped. To escape, they must face demonic foes with the power of their horrendously bad jokes. Bad Comedians in Hell is an open-ended, minimalist role-playing game. It uses everything's fine system, it requires a good deal of imagination, and it's all about storytelling. This is a game that I want to sit down with my friends that have the worst puns and my buddies that just became a dad and all the people that like to tell terrible jokes. And I don't mean terrible as in like inappropriate. I mean, terrible as in like, why did the chicken cross the road? Mm -hmm. Um, and the answer to that is because <laughs> <laughs> see, you laughed, you laughed. So I win. <laughs> Fair enough. This, Fair enough. this, this is a game that I want to play. This is a game I want to play with a couple drinks. This is a game <laughs> I want to play with, you know, it's a game I'll play at a table anywhere. This is going in my book or in my bag, like for a dollar. Uh, and again, that's bad comedians in hell. All righty. Well, I got home from work today. I saw a box on my porch. I know your box is very exciting. Um, it was a small box and it was not one of my wife's Amazon boxes. Woohoo! That's even more exciting. <laughs> In fairness, I order stuff from Amazon too. But anyway, note today, I got my hard copy of Army Men. Oh, so cool. Which, I, if y'all remember back in May, an episode, I think it was episode 122, 
we talked Good with grief. Josh Heath and Neil Litherland, who are the people behind this game, and I got the book today. And it is wonderful. Now, yes, it's 5e driven, but it is, I'll read you the blurb. Enter the world Enter the world of Army Men, a game of tactical plastic. A tactical tabletop role-playing game of plastic people with big resinous hearts. Join one of the nations within the Plastos Federation, an alliance built on necessity due to the incursion of vile plastic monsters known as Vespoids. And literally, you can go back and listen to the episode, but this is a game designed for you to go to the dollar store, buy a bag of plastic army men, buy a bag of plastic bugs, or whatever other critters, plastic critters, and use that to play a game. And so, also, and unfortunately I can't show you this, you can see the image that you see on drive through if you go follow the link and look at it, that is what the cover of the printed book looks like. It looks very much like an old army manual. It's soft cover, but the inside of the book is beautiful. It's got, like, the artwork to me, it just brings back, we talked about it, I think, at the time. There was that PlayStation 1 game, I think, called Army Men. And the artwork very much has that kind of early digital image, you know, with the weird sort of like texturing, smoothing, whatever. It, it's just, it's, it's just great. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it, it seems phenomenal. You know, I showed you some of the interior stuff, the pages and stuff. Very, very well put together book. And um, also I want to call out as part of the download, uh, if you, whoop, hang on, I clicked the wrong thing. There we go. Uh, as part of the, the package you buy, now it does cost 25 bucks on drive through literally, literally released today as we're recording. But as that, you get, it, there's actually five different files. You get a desktop. I believe it looks like it's a desktop. You, you get the PDF. Then you have a requisition form and a character builder that you get in both mobile and desktop versions. Now, I opened the requisition form, and I think it's just, it has to do with getting gear and stuff for your specific mission. Uh, but the character builders is, I opened it up and looked at it, and this is slick. So the first page of it is a form fillable sheet. You fill in your stats. When you go down to like, like what would be like feats and stuff in regular D&D, it's drop down menus. It auto populates to your character sheet below. And so you just print it off. Like, and that comes at, like, for 25 bucks, you get the book, you get the character, two versions of the character generator, like, and you could just click, 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 done. You know, it's based off fifth edition rules, so you're going to not have to spend a lot of time teaching people how to play the game. And look, it's, look, who didn't play with Army Men as a kid? Yeah, no, it's, ah, so excited. This is so cool, man. I, I have been waiting for this game to drop and let me tell you 25 bucks for that pdf 40 bucks for the the soft cover book that's a good deal and this is that's i mean really it's good deal. almost 200 pages i think well 167 yeah, I, yeah I just almost the book and looked at it i mean but it's a three-eighths of an inch thick soft cover three-eighths yeah. and a half and it's a book to have it is a a very much a book to throw in your in your uh little repertoire of books and yeah maybe fifth edition and i know we're not the biggest fifth edition fans but it's not fifth edition like i've i've looked over it i've seen it i read over it it's 
it's different. It's different enough to be justified. Yeah. So yeah, it's from high level games. Uh, primary author is Neil Litherland. Josh Heath did some work on it. He's also the publisher. Yeah, I think he did a lot of the layout and stuff. But yeah, it it's a cool book. And of course, Josh is also you know got a couple of podcasts here on the network: Werewolf the Podcast and Opcast. So. And not to mention, Josh is just a genuinely cool dude. And yes. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Army Men. I love it. I love it. I do. I was very happy. Well. Anything you heard mentioned here will be listed in the notes down below. If you follow the links, it takes you to drive through RPG. If you use our extension, that gives us a little kickback so we can keep getting cool games to talk about. Um, Facebook, uh, we, we post basically the episode there. But Patreon, Discord, and any podcatchers that you're listening to us on. Uh, Patreon, if you want to throw us a little bit of money. Discord, if you can't. Uh, or at the very least, just come and join us, join the conversation and hang yep. out. And then any podcatchers you're listening to us on, if you have the ability to leave us a review, please leave us a five-star review. If you uh, want to leave us a lower review, send us an email or come join the Discord, come yell at us. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> the reason we ask for the five-star reviews is it helps us get promoted out to other people. Uh, the more reviews we have, the more likely places like Apple or Spotify are going to promote us and get us a bigger following. And the bigger our following, the easier it is for you to find games. Because, mm-hmm. you know, we have a Discord that's really well uh, supported. Everybody on our Discord talks at all times. And I'm sure if you bounced into the Discord and went, is anybody looking to play something? You could probably find a couple people. Probably. There are people from all over in there, so. Yeah. But we want to thank everyone for listening, and we remind you to be kind to one another and get out there and play some RPGs. Yep. Take care, y'all. Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and RPGs. Find us on Facebook at meandsteverpgpodcast. On Discord at meandsteverpgs. And as always, all of these links are in the show notes. Thank you, and be kind to one another. How much for the cigar? Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that. I got a little long-winded on that one, but I don't care. We haven't had a long episode in a minute. No. In three, two, and one. Hey, folks, welcome back. In one, two, and three.